Welcome to the Birth Lounge Podcast, an empowering space for expecting and new parents to hear candid conversations with experts, support your mental health, and learn the tips and tricks that thousands of parents have used to craft their ideal birth. We will answer all of your questions, the scary ones and the weird ones, to help calm your fears and feel confident going into your birth. I'm going to help you redefine what birth and motherhood looks like and how to embrace your journey. I've intentionally crafted an amazing list of experts to help you navigate pregnancy, explore your birth options, and plan for postpartum so it can be a time of soaking in your tiny human. We're going to go there on all the hard topics so that you can dive into finding your confidence and freeing yourself from fears around childbirth. With almost 10 years of experience in family education and a master's degree in human development and family studies, I created this podcast as a way to share information so parents can make educated and informed decisions about their care during pregnancy and childbirth. This is a birth community driven by evidence-based information and research in hopes to help you explore your options, understand your rights, and know what choices you have along the way. I'm your host, Hee Hee. Now let's get to the good stuff. Hey y'all, welcome back to another episode of the Birth Lounge Podcast. I am so excited today to be sitting down with Sarah King, who is an exercise physiologist specializing in eating disorders. This is actually a really highly requested topic. There are so many of you out there who are struggling with past eating disorders or maybe disordered eating now, and you are trying to conceive pregnant or postpartum. I hear it all the time. I've been searching high and low for a professional that could come on and help us understand maybe what's going on, how we can fix it, and some practical, tangible steps that you can put into your life to support yourself through this. So Sarah, welcome to the show. I would love to start by diving into, I think the, the most uh, requested thing that I hear is body image during pregnancy. So for people out there who have struggled with eating disorders in the past, or maybe even currently, the changes that your body goes through during pregnancy can be a trigger of and in itself. Talk to us about this. What do we need to know about the changes in our body after having a history of eating disorders? Yeah. And that's such a, it's such a good question to start with as well. Um, I think a lot of people assume that pregnancy is just going to be this most wonderful time because that's how it's often portrayed on social media and like popular culture. Like you'll get pregnant, you'll love your pregnant body, everything will feel easy. And then you'll just feel so grateful that you have this bundle of joy that comes into the world at the end of it. And I think it all, it often sets up this sense of like, false pretenses that we end up finding ourselves in where there's this mismatch between what we thought this pregnancy was going to be like and what it actually feels like. Additionally to this, if you've had a a history of an eating disorder or disordered eating or body image issues, even as separate to that, again, pregnancy doesn't protect you from those things. It doesn't magically go away when you find out that you have a positive pregnancy test. Um, So if you're not working on those issues before trying to conceive, they're not magically going to disappear during that pregnancy part of your life. And this often leads to people kind of like understanding on a rational level 
that what needs to happen in terms of their body changing, they can kind of deal with. But emotionally and mentally, that's a different story. And I think that's the really difficult part because we're emotional creatures. Most of our emotions drive our behaviors, even though we think we have full control of our brain with our thinking brain. That doesn't always necessarily happen. We find ourselves in the situation where we have no control over our changing body because we are supporting the growth of this baby. And that can often then trigger difficult relationships with food, difficult relationships with exercise, and feeling just really uneasy in our body and finding it really hard to be like kind and take care of ourselves during that pregnancy. And I think that's why you have to be really, really mindful of how much work you're doing before that window of trying to conceive so that when you are pregnant, you have better skills to cope on those more difficult days. Because we all know we have bad body image days, right? But then if you have body image issues and you're in a period of life where your body is rapidly changing and you're also being pumped full of different hormones, it can exacerbate how we kind of respond to those difficult body image days. And is any of this going to be different slash I think there's space to be held for people who have recovered from an eating disorder, are on a healthy path, then get pregnant and feel triggered constantly through that. Yeah. And I think one of the most important things, like if you do have a history of an eating disorder, even if you've fully recovered um, and you feel strong and secure in your normal life, there are things that sometimes can trigger a potential relapse. And we definitely don't want to see that happening during your pregnancy because then that can kind of lead to complications both for you and baby if you fall back into those disordered behaviors. So if you feel even like slightly uneasy, tell your provider about your history. I think that's a really important thing to do. And also reach out for extra support. Even if you don't end up needing it, even if you go into the pregnancy and you're actually like, oh, I'm actually, I'm actually fine. You know, going back to a therapist or talking to a counselor or having a support network where you can actually openly and honestly discuss your, your fears and your worries around pregnancy and your changing body will equip you with better tools rather than trying to sweep it under the rug and just go, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. Once I get to trimester two or trimester three, then, then I'll be okay. Because then you're lulling yourself into that false sense of security. It doesn't, doesn't get better. It doesn't go away unless you're proactively working on these body image constructs. Yeah. And even when you are, you run into all these like bombs out into, I don't know if I'm even allowed to say that word on social media right now, but like out in the real world, people in the grocery store, friends and family, you're talking about things that exacerbate this mindset of like, my body is changing. I'm feeling triggering. When people say stuff to pregnant people, it's unbelievable what will come out of their mouth. You look small, you look big, your belly's high, your belly is low. Like all the things, these are so hard to combat when you already are maybe struggling with your body image. Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, we talk about, I mean, I talk about in general day to day, like body comments 
are usually unhelpful. And then when it comes to body comments of a pregnant person, uh, society just seems to think that we have a free pass and we can say whatever we want to, which is ultimately, again, super unhelpful. I mean, saying things like, oh, are you sure you're not having twins? Or like, oh, you're so small for six months pregnant. Like the person on the receiving end, how are they supposed to respond to those comments? How is that going to make them feel? Usually not great either way because they might be self-conscious on either side of that spectrum of, of body image. And I think the knock-on effects of that are not to be known to the person saying those comments and not thinking anything of it. So if you are like a, a person that is a friend of a pregnant person or a loved one of a pregnant person, still connect with them. They're going through a really interesting time in their lives, but they're also going through a time where they're learning their new identity and kind of like stepping into this new part of their life. And they want people to relate to them just as a person, just as the person that they, they know and they love. They might not want to talk about their pregnancy or their belly or anything related to that. They might want to talk to you about work or something else that happened during their week or whatever it is. So really just try and go, yes, this person is pregnant, but that doesn't give you free reign to number one, talk about their pregnant body. And number two, only ever focus on the pregnancy is the main thing that they only ever want to talk about. They are a human being. Talk to them like a human being. You can see how the whole um, idea of people and women and motherhood can't be separate except now we're starting we're seeing women start to take back that control and say wait I can be a mom and I can be me that has separate hobbies but it even starts you know here in pregnancy as we do we connect their pregnancy to like everything that they are okay so in pregnancy obviously we should be eating increased calories than we are when we're not pregnant that has got to be incredibly triggering. Talk us through what that may look like, how that may feel in your body if, if someone doesn't recognize that. Um, and also what, what do we do if we find ourselves really resistant or concerned about the, the additional calories we should be consuming? Yeah, that's a really good point to, to touch on. So like you said, pregnancy has an increased energy requirement. Um, but this might be tough if we come from a background where we might be quite controlled about how we eat and, you know, have certain timings around how we eat or certain foods. Or we might not have a great relationship with responding to our hunger. All of these things are very, very common. Now, in pregnancy, hunger can be wild. You can be really hunger, like hungry and insatiable one day. And feel really unwell on other days. And that creates real mental difficulties for people that have a, a strained relationship with food. So some things that I really encourage people to do. Number one, if you know you have disordered eating or an eating disorder, you need to be seeing a dietitian or a qualified nutritionist that really specializes in fertility and pregnancy and has background in eating disorders. That's really, really important because... Specialist training in eating disorders 
they will have better skills to give you and tools to give you to help you overcome those moment to moment decisions where your brain is kind of having that like, do I, don't I have this food? Um, And that's the most important thing. It's overcoming those mental obstacles to be able to nourish yourself. And again, usually that's dealing with people's thoughts, beliefs, worries that we really need to handle, not necessarily the practical side of things. You definitely need the practical side of things, but we need the the psychological skills and, and the mindset ability to kind of make those decisions. So that's kind of number one, make sure you're seeing a dietitian or a nutritionist who can really educate you in what is appropriate nutrition. The second thing is obviously we know pregnancy, like I said, has variable, I guess, responses for how hungry you feel or days are for how sick you might feel. And regardless on those really sick days, like your, your body still requires energy. And I think that can be a really big barrier of people getting enough energy in, um, especially in that first trimester. Now you, you don't really need any like huge extra energy requirements in that first trimester. But then we're thinking about like, okay, if that's the case, have you prepared your body in that window for trying to conceive? So if you are really unwell, that your body has reserves on those days that you don't feel like you can eat enough. And I think people often think like, oh, just, you know, try and become pregnant and and forget that, okay, well, you actually need to prepare your body for that that part because you don't know how your body is going to respond to pregnancy. And then further down the track, as you're kind of getting into trimester two and trimester three, yes, your energy requirements definitely do change. And also you have those complications of digestive issues and potential kind of like micro and uh, micronutrient deficiencies that you might run into. So things like iron being really low and you feeling really tired. The biggest one that we hear about all the time is, um, constipation. And all of these have knock-on effects for how we are able to nourish our bodies regularly. So then that can come down to really making smart food choices. So if you are someone that's really struggling to meet your energy requirements, are you able to have that flexibility and freedom to choose more energy-dense sources of food instead of filling up on really high volumes of food to get your energy requirements and again, if, ne- if someone's never have had disordered eating or an eating disorder, they might just veer towards those foods without thinking twice. But if someone kind of has this mindset of, oh, no, those foods are quote unquote bad or quote unquote unhealthy, it might prevent them from choosing those sources of food and those sources of energy on the days that they might really need those and they might really benefit from consuming those foods. So it all really comes back to that awareness. If you feel like you might be struggling with just an unhealthy relationship with food, you really need to focus on dealing with it now, not kind of like getting to a point where you're like, oh my goodness, my doctor has weighed me and, you know, I'm not at the the weight that they should be. And, you know, the baby is at risk because of that. Like, don't wait until that point. Start sooner. As soon as you know that you've become pregnant um, and you know that you're like, okay, I feel like I might have even like a 1% kind of issue or struggle with this throughout my pregnancy. Do something now. So much easier to prepare yourself and like arm yourself with knowledge and skills and tools and understanding of nutrition than it is to kind of wait until it becomes 
problematic later in the pregnancy. Yeah. And there's space here too, to remind everyone, like mental health therapy is so beneficial. Talk therapy is a game changer in all of this. So, you know, there are resources out there to, to help and support you. Okay. So we, we keep talking, Sarah, about the risk to the baby and the parent. What kind of risk are we talking about? And are there certain risks that may be attached to certain eating disorders or do they all kind of produce, you know, relatively similar risk? I mean, there are slight differences between eating disorder diagnosis. Um, and first of all, we know eating disorders affect about five to 8% of, of pregnant women. So for those people that have a history of an illness, there is, like we said before, that higher risk of relapse during that, that prenatal and postpartum periods, and that can lead to complications. So during the pregnancy, there's kind of um, the split of risks, right? There's the risk for the pregnant person, and then there's the risk for the baby. So the risk for the pregnant person are things like, depending on what kind of disordered eating or eating disorder you have, are poor nutrition, dehydration, if you have electrolyte imbalances, we're looking at cardiac irregularities. Um, for people that might be struggling with binge eating disorder, gestational diabetes, you could, <clears throat> excuse me, for any disordered eating or eating disorder, experience like mood problems, so depression or anxiety. The list goes on, premature birth or labor complications, all of that. Pretty significant risk. Yeah, that's kind of scary. Okay, so you mentioned too postpartum. The way that your body changes in postpartum, would it be possible that someone had gotten through pregnancy without being triggered and relapsed and then got to postpartum and that serve as their trigger and relapse? Or once you get to postpartum, do you kind of have a handle on, on how you might be responding to these changes? Mm, that's a really, that's a really good question. So that postpartum period can be just as triggering as that pregnancy part of your experience. And even sometimes more so for people, because like when you're pregnant, obviously like you're you're dealing with your changing body and all of the like lead up to labor and birth. But then once the baby comes, you're dealing with a whole other set of stresses on your life. So feeding your baby, however you choose to feed your baby and lack of sleep. And I think the biggest one is people not knowing who they are when they look in the mirror. They're like, oh, I'm a mother now. My body looks different. When I had the baby inside of me, I had a reason to kind of like maybe focus on a bit more body acceptance because I was growing this, this baby. Now I've birthed the baby and, and again, whatever way you've birthed, birthed your baby. And now I have to deal with this postpartum period, which is wild. Again, another new set of hormones flowing through your body, sleep deprivation, changing energy requirements and the pressure of like, quote unquote, needing to bounce back, right? It is no wonder 
that women fall into patterns of disordered eating or emotional eating or unintentional weight loss because they're so stressed, which can trigger things like if they've had anorexia in the past, it can unintentionally trigger anorexia to begin again. So you are really kind of at risk at different points in pregnancy and in postpartum, but that postpartum period, often people aren't getting enough support there. And that's where things can really, really spiral. So really, really focus on your support system in that postpartum period. Really, really be open and honest about what you're going through. In terms of your weight, I think there's so much pressure to kind of lose the baby weight, but I want you to think about the fact that for nine months of your life, you've just grown this human being. There is no such thing as quote unquote bouncing back. You need to focus on making sure that you have enough nutrition, some movement for your mental health. That is, doesn't have to be wild. It just has to be getting fresh air, having a change of environment, maybe giving yourself a break from motherhood. And you need to focus on the nutrition of your baby as well. That's especially important if you are choosing to, to breastfeed. Um, But again, like nutrition for your baby, even if you were like, let's say that you didn't gain a huge amount of weight in your pregnancy and your your, your healthcare professional advised you not to breastfeed because your energy requirements would be too high. You need to just think about like, okay, I need to look after my body. I need to look after my, my baby and not put so much pressure on needing to change your appearance straight away. If you'd had major shoulder surgery, right, you wouldn't come out two weeks later and go, great, I'm going to go lift super heavy weights at the gym or like swim, I don't know, like three kilometers in the pool. Like you wouldn't do that. But yet we expect ourselves to magically transform the second this baby leaves our body into being like, fit, super healthy, and like it's an obligation to have a smaller body again. You owe nobody nothing when it comes to this. So really be aware that that is something that you need to, excuse me, think about in that period. And if you are someone that is just feeling so much pressure internally or externally to change your body instead of take care of it, Again, that's a really good reason to go and get extra support. See a a dietitian or speak to a health professional about your mental health. So a psychologist or a counselor or a psychotherapist and give yourself some grace. If you took nine months to grow this beautiful human being, you deserve at least, at least as a minimum, (laughs) that amount of time to allow yourself to slowly ease back into the habits that make you feel your best, regardless of whether it changes your body. Yeah, I love that. Just some like basic anatomy and physiology for people. Your uterus doesn't actually shrink back to the size pre-baby until closer to a year postpartum. So you should really like 
take that to heart. Know that even the organ that carried your baby is not quote unquote bouncing back. It's taken its time to just slowly do its thing. Cause it just did, you know, it just grew a human and got that human out. Um, so definitely your body, it's, it's different. You guys, you're different. You're a different human. That's good. You did so much growth. You are a different person. Like find pride in that. Okay. Sarah, you've given us a lot of tangible steps. Are there any other things that we need to know about being pregnant, having a baby, being postpartum, trying to conceive either while struggling with eating disorders or having a history of disordered eating? I think the one thing, I mean, we touched a lot about, touched on a lot about nutrition. I think the one thing that we didn't discuss maybe that is related to disordered eating or an eating disorder or just having body image issues is the exercise component Mm -hmm. and how that can often be, again, a really difficult one to deal with because you do have to change your approach. You know, when you're trying to conceive, you might benefit from reducing down some super high intensity exercise because we know that, you know, your ability to kind of ovulate if your body feels very stressed is not great. So that's one thing to consider. And then really being able to have that flexible approach during your pregnancy, having a plan of what you'd like to do, but also knowing that you need to make adjustments for how you feel on the day, whether or not your body is growing at a rate that it should be growing, right? Because exercise, although incredibly beneficial for our our mental health and our physical body and even our baby, can also have complications that we need to be aware of. So really focusing on making sure that you've you've got a good plan, right? You know what you're going to do. You seek the help of someone like myself, like an exercise physiologist or physical therapist that really specializes in pregnancy and postpartum so that they can give you the knowledge, the plan to kind of go like, this is what is appropriate now, this is what is appropriate in the future. If you do feel like you have an over-dependence or an over-reliance on exercise, again, that comes back to going to someone that specializes in exercise compulsions or exercise addictions and going like, I'm finding this difficult to navigate. I don't know how to give myself the grace to rest and to not push myself to the point of like potentially getting an injury because you know, pregnancy hormones, they lead to ligament laxity. We could be super, super strong, but because our body is actually a little bit more flexible, we are at a higher risk, especially for more, like if we're doing more complicated movements to injure our bodies. Wow. That's fascinating. You touched on it. I mean, exercise is great. Even ACOG recommends that you have exercise. They recommend about 30 minutes a day for five days a week. Um, so not anything wild, just getting your heartbeat up. They say like uh, a light sweat, like break a light sweat, but okay. This is fascinating to know that, you know, you're doing all this exercise thinking that you're getting yourself strong, that you're doing healthy things for your body. And it actually may, you know, cause harm. Yeah. You just want to be mindful that kind of all of the pieces of the puzzle are fitting into place. And I think your provider can have the the best feedback for you on that. So maintaining yourself being injury-free and feeling good when you're moving your body and um, your baby growing at a healthy rate, like all of those are positive signs that you're kind of 
doing things at a, a good pace. If they're giving you feedback, you know, your baby's really small, you're not gaining enough weight. We've noticed that you're having like niggling injuries or your pelvis is really uncomfortable from all the exercise that you're doing. That might be a sign that you're pushing things a little bit too far. Yeah. Yeah. And not fueling your body on the other end of that, right? To make up for all of that. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. Wow. All right. Anything else? Oh, I think my one tip, my one tip, if you know that you are someone that has had an eating disorder or disordered eating, body image issues, and pregnancy is a period where you might be weighed throughout that time period, you can ask to be blind weighed. You can ask to be blind weighed. So you don't need to know the number. You can tell people, every single person that you come into contact with, that you don't want to know those details and be very, very firm with those boundaries. It is not essential for you to know the number. Your provider can give you feedback on whether things are going okay and give you feedback on if you need to change anything. But the number is insignificant to the health of you and the health of your baby. Cool. I love that tip. Okay. Sarah, in America, medical gaslighting is just so abundant. It it feels like it happens to most people. And um, from what I know and the feedback I've gotten is that providers are certainly not trained in disordered eating. And um, a lot of times they do tell people, you know, something like, well, you just need to eat a cheeseburger, um, which, you know, all in itself can be super triggering or, you know, talking on the other end of the spectrum, like, well, if you don't stop gaining weight, then we don't want your baby to die, you know, like really ridiculous things like that. Not to suggest by any means that you would take the place of someone's provider, but if someone's provider was maybe not as versed in eating disorders, how might someone find you and your services in order to learn more about being pregnant after or dealing with currently disordered eating? Yeah. And look, there are amazing providers everywhere, but if you resonate with me and you want extra support during this part of your life, the, the best way to get in touch is to either follow me on Instagram at Sarah Liz King. A lot of my resources are around eating disorder recovery and recovery from something called hypothalamic amenorrhea. So the loss of your menstrual cycle from overtraining, underfueling, or being too stressed, usually a combination of those things. And we work with clients one-to-one worldwide. So we provide one-to-one support and really actionable behavior change alongside those psychological skills, because we know both are so essential for you to have that sustainable, slow change in your life so that you can have that better relationship with food and your body and exercise, whether you are someone that is trying to conceive currently in pregnancy or going through that postpartum period. And, um, In that postpartum period, we also work with women to kind of make sure they're going to regain their cycles back because, again, sometimes it can be tricky if you've got that history of disordered eating or an eating disorder. So I should say my Instagram or my website, sarahlizking.com, both are the best places to find me. Cool. Thank you so much for being here today. This was a new topic for me. This was not something I was very familiar with. It was something that people have come to me for a long time now asking for resources. And I am 
honored and just feel so lucky to have you in our corner to share with them because this was so eye-opening on so many levels. I hope that listeners out there, um, people, if you're watching on YouTube, I hope you are leaving feeling less alone and understanding that you have resources out there for you to help support you. And and we're ready to do that. Um, So thanks for being here with us today, Sarah. Thanks for joining us. We will link all of the things uh, in the show notes so that you can find that. If you're listening on the podcast, give us a follow on Instagram at Tranquility by Hehe or go find us on YouTube. And if you're watching on YouTube, give us a listen on the podcast and go find us on Instagram. Bye y'all. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I truly do value this community and I love hanging out with you. If you found today's episode helpful, share it with a friend. Share it with someone who might also find this information helpful. I'd love to hear what you have to say and read your sweet words on iTunes. You can leave us a review and this helps get this information into the hands of parents who might also benefit from hearing it. If you're interested in joining The Birth Lounge, you can go to thebirthlounge.com. Our blog is linked there. You can find all sorts of free information as well as how to get your access to The Birth Lounge. You can always hang out with me on Instagram as well, at Tranquility by Hehe. Until then, stay educated, stay supported, stay confident. there just a friendly reminder that nothing in this podcast is to be used as medical advice diagnosis or treatment please consult your health care provider with any questions or concerns you have about your health or anything discussed in this podcast side effects may include educated adults informed decision making skills and consensual care tranquility by hehe and the birth lounge are not responsible for any ideal births that were created with this podcast the birth parent deserves all the credit